Hello everyone, welcome back to Founders Corner. Today I have an amazing guest. I know every single one of my guests have been amazing, but this one's especially amazing. Her name is Emma and she is here from Vancouver um, and she works with a company, a software company called Sweat. And today we're gonna be talking about go-to marketing strategies and just marketing strategies as a whole uh, for startups to engage in before they get started. So let's all welcome Emma. Emma. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. Um, Emma has been dealing with some cold weather in Calgary, so this is Very an absolute cold. shock for you. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm missing the rain a little bit, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, but rain. The, yeah. Si the sunshine is nice. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> so, Emma, tell me. Uh, first, give me your backstory. What's your history? Let's let's go into that detail. Yeah, so I've I've been marketing for, for years at this point. Um, it is, I've been in everything from, like, big major corporations to small agencies, but I sort of found my niche now working in software companies and mm -hmm. small tech startups. Very nice. Yeah. And that's like 99% of our listeners yeah, here. Exactly. <laughs> so that's good. So what, what made you choose marketing over any other degree? Oh, wow. I think I was just really pragmatic. Uh -huh. nice. <laughs> I was like, I'm definitely not going into finance and I want to do something creative. Yeah, so I ended up in my- always a very boring choice to me. It does especially I also learned very quickly that it was not my forte because I had I barely passed so yeah it seems like most people that don't like finance they love marketing or vice versa if they hate marketing they love finance but ironically marketing has become more and more finance. numbers driven, <laughs> driven, driven and right. like it, it borders it borders a little bit on finance and to some yeah. extent depending on if you're going like growth marketing or things that are like really really like numbers are data driven so it's yeah. So that being said, you are in a director of growth marketing at, at Swap, right? Now. I am. I am. It's like my first so sort of growth marketing. <laughs> I know. I, I don't want to say I'm really in finance, but okay. like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Data-driven marketing. Data-driven marketing. Yes. I know. It's like I went into marketing to avoid that part and somehow. Yeah. <laughs> somehow you still ended up there. Isn't yeah, that, exactly. it's, that's the irony of it all. Um, so, you know, our founders, when, when we ever, whenever we talk to them or whenever we engage with them, we always notice, especially at the when they're engaging with us to build their product out. Um, you know, it's funny we had Bryce on yeah. our channel and Philippe a couple of days ago as well, and and we talked about how you know problem statements is one thing that they always miss. Like they always go to the solution and not the problem. Um, they don't do their research. They don't. They kind of put these blinders on. They're they're like, no, I know what this. I know what this is going to look like. So they don't do enough research. So that was with Philip. And now what I love about your, you know, uh, your conversation with me was it's also they don't really take in consideration marketing when they're engaging with the product, right? They're kind of like too hectically focused on products. So tell me what you meant by that. Yeah. So we all know like, oh, you need to find product market fit. Yeah, right? that's a standard. That's, that's a, a standard. That's a buzzword, like AI. And then we'll figure out some channels <laughs> yes. after the fact. Throw things at the wall. Throw things yeah. at the wall and see what sticks. To, and to be fair, that idea of throwing a few things out there to see what's, what works is a valid strategy. But the thing is, is, if you don't think about how you are going to go to market when you're building your product, picking your target market, yes, you might build yourself into a bit of a, a between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Right? You invested all of this money yeah. to go after the certain audience only to discover that it's really hard to find them. It's really hard to target them. Yes. It's really like maybe the audience you thought you were going after, the, the better audience is actually the segment that's like not so interested in how you built the product. Yeah. Um, you might find that you can only, your price point isn't 
on like queue. on queue. Exactly. You're like, I can only charge X for this target market, but it, the cost to acquire them is significantly higher. So it's funny you say that because uh, with, with our founders course, um, Founders Academy, yeah. we literally go through that exact same process, but on the product side, because I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't look at it in terms of just, it's not just marketing. Yeah. It's, it's very much like marketing and your buyer's journey through that product. Because that, that is built into it. Like, think about it. Like, when they sign up for a trial, for example, yep. you're still on that journey. You're still part of the marketing concept. And a lot of times, developers do not talk to marketing people. <laughs> well, it's also to this idea that people think marketing is, oh, you guys just write some blogs and maybe yes. do a video, do some podcasts or yes. stuff, and then, and the, then everything comes. Only the, f the fourth P, the promotion side. Exactly. Right. But yeah. one of the biggest things I think founders can really think about as they're doing this is really understanding what market, like what target market they're going after and what mm -hmm. ideal customer they're going after. So what does that look like? We're, let's say I know nothing. Yeah. Um, how would I even approach that concept? Well, one idea I've always really liked is, I mean, every founder has an idea. I have this idea and it's yeah. going to help solve this product. Like, hopefully they're solving a specific problem for a specific group of people. Yeah. Not just like this would be a cool product, but yeah. let's just say they have a target market in mind. Yeah. There's only going to be a small percentage of that target market that can use the product in its form when they first launch. Right. They can't go, like, let's just say you're going after florists. I don't know. Like, you, some sort of great, software. That's a great <laughs> segment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, all florists will not be able to use your product right off the bat because it's probably going to be an MVP. You need to build on it. You're trying to probably solve a particular pain point. You can only go after, are you going after the enterprise? Yep. Are you going after the small mom and pop shops? Are yep. you going after the established ones? Like who? You are limited in resources. I agree 100%. Right? And But each of those different markets will require a different type of go-to-market strategy. And you may want yep. to build the product in a certain way to tailor it for them. I agree 100 And that's what I, that's where I was going with is like, you know, like for example, mom and pop shops, yep. like you don't need enterprise sales. Oh. You, you, it's all about marketing. It's all about how to do your promotion. But at the same time, it's all about your product too, because yeah. they sign up for a trial. Okay. How do we convert them? How do we see success with that trial? Okay. Um, at what point should we engage with them automatically to, you know, because you got to automate these things with mom and pop shops. You, there's too much volume. Yeah. Whereas with enterprise, it's severely he like it's very heavy on sales. Yeah. Relationship building, taking them for coffee. You can't really do as much marketing there, right? Exactly. Well, because you're the the buying process is so complex. Yes. Like you have, is your product comp complex? You probably need sales to explain what's going on, which means you probably can't use like a really low price point. Which right? Is your product completely new? Do people mm -hmm. even know about it? If they don't know about it, something brand new to the market, search probably isn't a great channel for you and you have to look at more like more well, expensive channels. Because no channels. one's searching on how would they, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Are you going after a horizontal market, right? Like you fit, you solve like one of the hardest sort of ways to approach I've seen someone do or a company do is going after a horizontal product, like yeah. problem, meaning it can serve all these different industries. Okay. And it's SMB. Oh, wow. There is no way to target these people. Yeah, that's There's, impossible. It's That'd extremely be hard. Yeah. hard, right? Yeah. So if you like, okay, we can go to all marketers in a certain company all across all these yep. industries, or we can go after all these industries, like this one industry, and it serves like all of them in some way. Like you need to kind of think through how are we going to find these people? And well, is it viable? And we <laughs> always tell people like pick your niche. Yeah. Pick one single niche 
focus on that niche? How do I get that niche? How do I market to that niche? Because yeah. once you understand one person, it's a lot easier to market to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also the other thing to think about is that you, you don't just need product market fit, you also need product channel fit. Like if mm. anyone's ever heard of um, Brian Balfour, he's been built up the Reforge um, okay. communities and things like that. And he has a great, like he had this whole article, which is great on it. But it's, you can control your product, but you can't control the channels. You don't control mm. Google. You don't control Facebook. Nope. You don't control your customers' <laughs> you have, you have word of no mouth. You don't control over <laughs> anything other than your product. I agree with that. Yeah. Right? And so you need to think about, okay, I have to play by their rules. What are their rules? Does it make sense for my product and my price point and my pricing and all that kind of yeah. stuff? And how, okay, so, you know, we always, we always tell our founders, look, you gotta, you gotta do your competitive research to find out pricing. Like pricing is one of the hardest things in my opinion it, yeah. to get right. Um, and it takes a lot of trial and error. Yeah. My biggest issue is I see founders do is they always price themselves too low. Oh yeah, they do it all the time. Right? Where they price themselves like, oh, I, I don't know if I can get that much. And that's really what hurts their cash flow is they're mm -hmm. not priced high enough. Well, you know what I think was a really interesting learning? It was a, I did the Growth Hackers Conference and yeah. like they were doing this whole thing about pricing models. And it was Patrick, I can't remember his name right now from ProfitWell, but he was talking about, they had done a study of like hundreds or thousands of different SaaS startups, right? And they found that the ones that were most successful were probably running pricing experiments every quarter. Yes. Whereas most yes. are doing it every three years. Because you don't know. Except, you don't know until you know. And they feel guilty about maybe increasing the prices. Or, and yeah. don't get me wrong, it's not like you're changing your whole pricing structure every quarter because that'd no. be bananas. Yeah. But you can and be also running... very unrealistic. Exactly. Yeah. But you're, if you have a sales team, right, you can soft test a new pricing package to right. prospects. You can change how you've, which features you package things if it's feasible with your backend. And I think at the beginning when you first start, it makes sense because mm -hmm. you need to get people to buy in. So yeah. you need the innovators. And the innovators are usually the ones that are like willing to jump in, but like kind of like, okay, I better get a good deal for this. Yeah. Well, yeah. also too, like just an, an initial go-to-market strategy, if you're doing like say B2B, right? Sales is good, probably going to be your first go. Every founder should be it's their first sales rep. 100%. Right? And in that, that is a go-to-market strategy. And then yeah. eventually you hit a point where you're like, well, I need more leads. Yes. And then you start looking at marketing. Then you start looking at product-led virality kind of things. But you have to think about that. Like if you want to use like virality, Calendly is a really great example of yes. product-led growth through virality. But it needs to be simple. It needs to be transactional. Well, that is the most simplest of the forms of products. Exactly. <laughs> it needs to be broad. It's literally right? a calendar scheduling app. If you're niche and yeah. you're, you know, like and it's complex. And they haven't expanded and... much out of it. Like yeah. they've added like little like features to it. Yeah. Um, but all they've done is make it easier to log in, sign up. Like it's really just more on like how to reduce the friction as much as possible. Because I see a lot of startups, uh, they'll get traction somewhere mm -hmm. and they'll be like, this is amazing. Let's move on to our next product idea. And then you're like, you just got this. Like drive that forward. Like how do you service that? I know. Like going after all the channels all at once. It's, it's like seeing someone do all the social platforms yes. all at once. I'm yes. like, no. <laughs> yes. And with only by yourself, like with one person doing it all, right? So. There's no way that you can do multiple channels, especially if you have limited resources. Always. So, Especially in the marketing department. Oh, especially. Most startups are really heavily focused on the dev side. Yeah. Uh, because without it, they would, they would die. 
um, yeah. that is their product. Um, and then you're totally right on the fact that the start, uh, the founder needs to be the sales guy. Cause honestly, like if they're not, they're, uh, they're, they're dead in the water. Well, like how do you, how do you sell it? Yeah. You don't know investors too. They, they're look, you're selling the product to me as the investor. Yeah. You have to know the customer and sales are some of the best people to understand what's happening with the customers, what works, what pitch works, what like, ang- like so value do you props think, work. Is that why there's so much friction between like sales, like sales and marketing to me get the highest budgets for things because you honestly wouldn't survive otherwise. I, you know, but then Dev makes the same argument as like, well, we also need the budget because we need to make sure the product exists for the sales well, and marketing team. One hundred percent. But it also depends on how you're, like, what is what is driving your growth and what is your go to market strategy. Right. If you try to do everything all at once, you're not really thinking about it as a machine. You're thinking about it as all of these separate parts. Yes. And when isolation, isolation, yeah. and that can make sometimes even sales work. and marketing are against each other. Like sometimes cons- unfair. <laughs> for good organizations, they should be together. I agree with you. <laughs> I know. I I mean, that's I like what- how you said that. But sometimes. <laughs> what do you mean sometimes? I it's I personally like setting up a structure where more sales and marketing are working on the same projects together or in tandem. But how does that like the th- like distribution is marketing and salespeople are distribution. So it's like, I don't understand how like organizations don't work together in that sense. Like how, how, okay, you've worked with the bigger companies. Yes. Actually, this is a great question for me to ask you. And this is not really tailored to the founders, but yep. maybe while they're growing, they'll yep. understand. But like, why is there a battle between the sales team and the marketing team? It's because they traditionally, they've been focused on very different metrics. Okay. So marketing is all about leads and then sales be like, but you're not giving me good leads. And then sales marketing is like, yeah, but you're not closing them properly. Nice. And <laughs> the, the Spider-Man pointing at each other. Exactly. Kind of okay. And if everyone is focused on revenue, like one of the best ways to align these two teams is to give them shared metrics. Right. To a certain yes. extent, right? It has to be a uh, universal goal. You're yeah. right. Um, at Corridor, all, that's all we do. We do KPIs. Yeah. Um, of course, like we have to do KPIs. But one, one big thing that we do is we work on a single goal metric. So it's like, here's where the company has to go. And every team has to build their goal metric around that. And that's the golden metric. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, that to me doesn't make any sense. I've, I've never set up my companies like that. And it just doesn't make sense to me. No, and it's really easy, like when it's a small team to bring that cohesion. I yeah. think that separation has come um, at, for bigger companies because yes. it's very hard to bring a sales and marketing team together on everything if it's a larger organization because they are they do work very differently yes um, but I can also tell you that like they, there is no universal goal no like it literally is like you guys give me as many leads as you can give me qualified leads these guys close as many leads as you possibly can and then these guys are like well my customers are all asking for these different features and then they go back to the de- literally mm. it's like it's a vicious cycle right it is like there's i think there's benefits when you have teams like hyper focused on one element yes. but you need to find that whether it's a bigger company and you need to segment your like silo your teams a little bit yep. there does come a time to do it i mean you can't all collaborate together no. constantly cuz that'd be really slow yeah but there needs to be some way to bring that cohesion together. I, one way that has sort of popped up is like the idea of a growth team, yes. which is a good cross-functional team. I've, I have attempted to create like growth machines with like the whole departments, like your sales and marketing all yeah. together. 
but it usually gets bloated and the most of most of your marketers and sales guys and whoever don't have the growth skill set of hypotheses validation right. and all of that and it doesn't work Fair. <laughs> i think what is i think if i were to do it all over again in the early days of a startup everyone's a growth team it's yes. a cross functional team well, that's all working growth, together you're dead. Exactly. Yeah. But you're all wor working cross-functionally together. Your product guys are talking to your sales guys, talking to your marketing guys. They're all in the same room. Exactly. Yeah. But as once you get into that bigger like area where things are getting a little siloed, one way to like test new strategies is making a little micro team inside the company and they go in to try and fix processes within those oh, segments cool. and it becomes way more nimble. So one right? of my ideas was to throw everybody and separate everybody out. Throw everybody and separate like, everybody like out. Like throw them into a single like area. Yeah. And like there is no like sales department or like, you know what I mean? Like there is like you're a sales department, sure, but you're scattered throughout the organization. <laughs> that way yeah. you're forced to talk to other people. Oh, absolutely. Maybe empathize a little bit like with developers and what they have to go through and QA. And... There's pros and cons to all of that, I right? Too. Then you I don't know. get collaboration within your own team. That's the I other know. issue. <laughs> I know. But I mean, in the, the early days, the team already will naturally operate as like a, a growth team because it's yes. so small. So start with sales, especially for the B2B side. Um, but again, think about that target market and think about the product, your product. Is it complex? Is it right. simple? This is going to help guide you in how you want to go to market, but you need to if you were, it, it's almost like a sanity check as you're building your product. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, how are we going to sell cool. this? Yeah, go back to the drawing board and see how it relates. You know, does this make, like, can we use virality? Can we use user-generated content? Can we, do we need to be product-led? Can we be product-led? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I think the number one thing they need to do is figure out the journey. Yep. And I think what you just said is is the perfect sense as to why you need to do the journey. Um, so if I were to ask you right now, yeah. hey, Emma, I'm planning to start my own business tomorrow. And here's my idea. Okay, let's let's go with the florist idea. Yeah. What's the what would you suggest as a friend to a friend or a colleague to a colleague? What steps should I take right off the bat? Oh yeah. So one of the th the things I like. I think work well is finding a product advisory board. Interesting. I don't know if you have you talked about this on the podcast before. Never. Okay. I mean, technically, we I guess technically, Corridor is your product advisory board. I actually because... mean this in a different sense, though. Oh, okay, I do. Go. So, a product advisory board is say you have this idea, like, okay, I want to go sell the florists. Okay. I'm going to build operational software or something. Okay, sure. A POS system. Yeah, yeah. And let's say I've... it's like a delivery system for florists. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yes. Yes. Love it. So I have this idea. I think it's super cool. I know these guys are feeling this pain point. Okay. Try and find a group of florists. eight, 10 florists uh -huh. and pitch them the idea. Okay. And ask them, hey, I'm, we're trying to solve this problem. Do you have like 30 minutes every, you know, every few weeks or 15 minutes with me every few weeks? I want to see if this actually works. And if it's, a, if it's a solution, is this something you want to try? That's actually hilarious you say that because <laughs> I've had multiple people approach uh, me personally yeah. and be like, Sep, I got this great idea. And every single time I'm like, okay, go find me five people that were willing to pay yeah. for it. How many people do you think actually come back with the five? <laughs> and the, it's one of the things I love about it is it helps you validate who your target market actually yes. is. It's not just florists Smart. in general. 
there's probably going to be a subset of them that really care about it. Those are going to be your early adopters, the ones yes. who are really tech savvy. Mm -hmm. Usually go for the tech savvy ones, yeah. right? Not the the ones who not, just not got their first mom. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have to click here. <laughs> exactly. um, by the way, uh, just so anyone, any founders, uh, just so you guys want to know, most of the user issues, and I, you and I were talking oh, about yeah. this today, most of the user issues in software is sign in. Mm -hmm. So let yeah. that settle in. And it's because that's crazy to both of us. You were shocked <laughs> by that statement. <laughs> You're like, there's no way. How is that? I know. Even and then possible? you talked about two people here at Corridor that struggle with it. I'm just like, oh, it's guys. insane. We call them <laughs> Grandpa Bob and Ari. Literally, the the both of them, the, for some reason, cannot log into systems, and it's always their fault. I don't understand. I just don't get it. So, but uh, like going after like those tech savvy like florists, it's not just can they use software. They're going to be the most excited about something new. Yes. They're going to be the most likely to risk or invest the time on something that may or may not work for them because they're so excited about like, oh, this could be so neat. Right. Right. It's that motivation of why they would say yes. Uh -huh. Right. Because you go through, you know, like um, how to avoid the, um, oh God, the big curve. I'm like, are you talking about the like the buyer persona? No, like the crossing innovators. the chasm. Uh -huh. uh, I could see the visual in my head and I couldn't <laughs> no, remember the name. Crossing the chasm, you get those innovators in the beginning yes. and then you get the early adopters and like you go, then it becomes you go for those early adopters, yes. right? And so you get to validate your idea. You get some but initial feedback. How do you, how do you feedback. find early adopters? I mean, fine. I, I walk in. If you don't have an iPhone, I'm walking out. Yeah. It's fair enough. But like, it's not that simple, is it? Sometimes it's just, you could be like, hey, you go to a, a florist website. Does it look like it was built in the 90s? Oh, that's a great point. Actually, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> right? You can kind of tell what's going on. If and... they have e-commerce, then you know they're definitely early yeah. adopters. Good point. So you have to find the things that will basically define them as as technologically savvy enough yeah. to be able to engage and with you. you're also probably, like, you only need a handful of them. We're not talking a lot. It's not... And once you kind of know who you're going after, you're going to be like, okay, so where do these guys hang out? Mm -hmm. Do they go to events? Do right. they Google everything? Right. Do like do they avoid all things because they're a small business and they have no time for anything? Mm -hmm. Right. And then this starts to give you an idea of how you might reach these guys. And on top of that, now you've got if it goes well, you've got some customer That's testimonials. Right. You've got yeah. some case studies. You've got all. Well, things. and they can also help guide the product exactly as well, right? Uh, I know we had a client who was building something for. Um, literally very small SME, like mm -hmm. I'm talking like one to 10. Yep. Um, and it was basically, they they had products available to them, but the number one issue was, they're, they're, con they're construction guys. Yeah. The number one issue for them was, um, I can't manage anything on my phone, yep. which is ironic because <laughs> most construction guys are not very phone-based, but because he's always on site. Yep. The like the guy has his own truck. He has maybe an admin mm -hmm. at home, uh, or you know, probably a wife. Or yeah. you know, and I, I hilariously say all wives become assistants to founders because yeah. that's like or husbands, whatever. Like if it's a female founder, the guy becomes the assistant, right? But you have you have one guy, and he's just he was telling them he was saying, look, all these softwares do so much, and that's great. I don't need any of it. Yeah. I just need a solid CRM system and a solid, uh, <laughs> like an easy way for me to manage invoicing and just like send it off and mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with it uh, and and just be able to manage my workforce. And it's like three trucks. That's all I need to control. Mm -hmm. 
And you'd be surprised how many people he got on board before the, like we're still working on the product, but yeah. he already has pre-sales. And that's thing, so it's such a great, using a product advisory board helps you de-risk your idea, mm -hmm. de-risk your product design, and de-risk your go-to-market strategy upfront with very little, like you don't have to invest anything, you're just asking for people's help. And to, and to basically bring what Bryce says, develop a product around the problem exactly. rather than just a simple solution. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, anything else that you think that uh, founders should do? I mean, that that, that product advisory is awesome. I, I'm going to use that phrase if that's okay with you. Oh, so uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an actual great, term. It's an actual term? <laughs> you can Google it. Well, now like... I feel uneducated. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we do these podcasts, right? Because I love it because I get different perspectives from yeah. everybody. And I get to learn from different mindsets like we've done a bunch of marketing now and like like when i was talking to philip for example it was amazing learning from him and i was we did an episode with uh, wish who's our ai guy mm -hmm. and it was just fun listening to him talk even though you don't really understand half the words he says but like it's like you get what he's trying to express as to what the difference between an algorithm and ai is so it's always good to listen to other people and just hear their perspective and in this case, product advisory board. Yeah. I'm going to tell that to every single one of our customers now. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, do you have a product advisory board? No, you should get one. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Um, Emma, thank you so much for your time. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Um, again, Emma came from Vancouver, not necessarily for the podcast, but she definitely stuck around for the yeah. podcast. So I really appreciate that about her. Um, everybody at Founders Corner, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, please let us know. We'd be more than happy to respond to them. Um, again, this is literally designed for you, uh, the founders, to learn and understand where you can take your business to fly. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Until next time, Corridor out. 